Hi friends, this is Kelly with Wishful Drinking and Binge Thinking, the podcast where I get just absolutely hammered and I dole out psychological advice. That's right, I am going to be more drunk than that girl you met in the bar bathroom after your karaoke set who said, you have such good stage presence, oh my god. That's right, zero preparation, multiple drinks, countless profound gems. Tune in the last Monday of every month on Fearscape Media Network. There is no question that something is here, lurking somewhere in the darkened corners. But how will we ever find out what it is? We need to look, always, and never stop, no matter what stands in our way, no matter what others may think. Explore the darkness shine light into it join the red strings and the silver threads everything is connected somehow i am mark l watson this is peer beyond the veil So my interest in the occult and the paranormal really started um, probably around 1993 or so. I read a book called um, The Eyes of the Tarot, and that got me really interested in tarot cards. And then later that year, I I bought a a deck, sort of a rider weight knockoff deck out of a catalog. And tried to teach myself how to read the cards and didn't have very much luck. So kind of set them aside as as an interesting art piece more than anything else. But right around that same time, I read another book called Creatures from UFOs by an, an author named Daniel Cohen. And that book inspired me to just get really into the paranormal in in a general sense, you know, Bigfoot, UFOs, ghosts, alien abductions. And this would have been 1993, 1994, right when the X-Files was coming and, and Star Trek Next Generation was out there. So there was all this sort of interesting paranormal and science fiction-y stuff uh, for me to get my hands into. And in 1996, with a couple of friends, I launched a, 10 year study into the paranormal. And we did field research. We did, you know, interviews of, of eyewitnesses and it wasn't just ghosts. It was UFOs, Bigfoot, any unexplained mystery that we could investigate. We did. And after 10 years from 96 uh, to 2006, I wrote a book called the memoirs of a paranormal adventurer which I submitted to a bunch of publishers and none of them would touch. They're probably regretting that now, (laughs) but uh, so I had to self-publish it. 
And uh, it was still pretty successful. I mean, I was selling whatever, maybe a hundred copies a year, which isn't that many. But um, uh, after that, I decided to move on from paranormal investigating and uh, rekindled my acting career actually in 2007 and was a professional actor for many years, moved to Los Angeles and uh, pursued that full time and had some success. I mean, I never really earned enough to make a living at it. And then I got out of that in 2013, I got divorced and decided to give up acting professionally. And I got a job. This is where things really get interesting. I got a job with the biggest telephone psychic company in the world called California Psychics. My initial job was in customer service, and then I got promoted to be a recruiter. My job was actually to find people with psychic skills, evaluate them, and get them on our line. And I developed a system. It it can be quite jarring to talk to a lot of psychics day after day, constantly getting psychic readings. So I developed a system, uh, a rubric that could grade and rate and evaluate psychics consistently and determine whether or not they'd be a good fit for our line. So um, during this process, I realized, hey, I, I could start my own company in the psychic realm in some way and make a lot more money than I am now. So I eventually left that company, uh, waited for two years until my a non-compete clause in my contract expired. And then I released my own deck of tarot cards called uh, the Demon Possessed Tarot. And it was initially released through Kickstarter and made, I think, $66,000 in, in a month and uh, have released now, I think I'm on my seventh deck I, or sixth deck I just launched uh, and have been extremely successful over that, that period of time. And, and now you can find my decks in Barnes and Noble and on Amazon and, and everywhere else. Across history, the boundaries of knowledge have been pushed and expanded by the tireless explorers and adventurers who walked before us. They climbed into ships and boats, onto horseback or camels or elephants, and they set out on foot with compass and knife in hand, away into the fog of uncertainty. They pushed through jungle and discovered new beasts and insects and plants. They crossed oceans in vessels unsuitable for great voyage, never sure of their return. They discovered ancient civilizations, pieced together parts of mysteries which tested our greatest minds, and time and again advanced everything we thought we knew. Eric the Red of Iceland reached North American shores 500 years before Columbus, an absolute pioneer for his times. Alexander von Humboldt left Germany for Latin America and became the first person to suggest that Africa and South America were once joined as one. Ranulf Fiennes became the first man to cross the Antarctic unsupported, to reach both poles and to cross the Arctic and Antarctic oceans, while Jacques Cousteau made it possible for adventurers to come to explore below the surface of our oceans, opening up a world we had only guessed about. But as we move forward into modern times, more and more of our planet has been trekked, mapped and charted. Much of the old school adventuring is done, though there are still many exceptions. And so, today's adventurer takes a different path. Still venturing into darkened jungle, ancient ruins and underground caverns, they search for that which is still very much undiscovered. The truths about our place in the universe and in our reality. We have no proof that there is life after death, 
No proof that we aren't alone in the universe. No proof that there are creatures in the woods who we know only from folk tales. But we search, as we must, until the end. Our guest tonight is an intrepid paranormal adventurer and investigator, who's documented his journey from darkened cemetery to treacherous mountaintop in search of the truth about the unknown, and to solve the most intriguing of paranormal enigmas. A filmmaker, actor and musician, as well as an author of the occult and a practicing tarot master, it's our pleasure to welcome Travis McHenry to the show to talk with us tonight, as he takes a quick dive into some of the things that repeatedly draw him back to peer beyond the veil. You know, there's a certain amount of research you have to do before you go into the field so that you're prepared, so you know what you're looking for. And most importantly, when someone says something, you know, when an eyewitness just mentions something that they saw, uh, for example, you know, this this uh, Bigfoot project I was working on um, in Pennsylvania, you know, it took us forever to try to narrow down where is the Bigfoot creature and when do we stand the best chance of actually running into it? And it took almost 10 years to, to determine that, talking to eyewitnesses and collecting reports. And we were able to determine from looking at a topographic map and sort of plotting out all the reports, hey, here it looks like there's more reports on this side of the, the woods, the state game lands, during the winter, and there's more reports on this side during the summer. So we were able to determine that this creature was using this creek to move from one end of the woods to the other. And, you know, we just put ourselves in the right place at the right time and, and had a, a, a pretty thrilling encounter. I had to go into the this blueberry, this patch of blueberries, a thicket. And, uh, you know, we were driving along this this uh, mountain road in the middle of the night. And my uh, my friend George was hanging out the back of the car with a spotlight. And he said, I see eyes. So we stopped the car and I got out and, and there was something in there. I could hear it moving. So I sort of pushed my way back through the brush and I hit the blueberry patch and I could smell this really thick, funky odor. And I turned back to George and I said, George, there's something back here. And he said, well, do you want to keep going? And I said, not really. <laughs> so, so, you know, I, I came about as close as a person can come, I think, to a, a Bigfoot type creature. And uh, so those kind of experiences are, are the kind of experiences I had over and over again. You know, I invent, investigated a haunted sorority house and this girl, a sorority student, had been thrown out of her bed. She was on a, a, a top bunk of a bunk bed, was thrown off the top bunk. The top bunk was lifted off and dumped on, on top of her in the middle of the night. And she had bruises all over her body. And there was another person in the room, a girl, laying on her bed across the other side of the room. And she said she just woke up and the bed was on the floor and the girl was on the floor and they couldn't understand how that happened. And it was really, really bizarre. So, so being involved in these sort of uh, paranormal events, you try to... What was to the history to the house then? What, what was your... Well, what was your 
So, so Bloomsburg, the, the, the town where that happened, uh, is a very old sort of colonial American town. Um, it had originally been just a fort there in the 1700s uh, to repel Indian attacks. That's how long ago we're talking, before the United States even existed. So the house itself was probably at least 150 years old, maybe 200 years old. It was this, an old sort of stately Victorian home or whatever was before Victorian Gregorian, I guess, uh, home, you know, with a stone basement and, and all that kind of stuff. And uh, I was never able to verify, you know, because I was really good with the local archives. I was never able to verify if there were deaths in the home, you know, or some tragic murder happened there or something like that. So the history of the home didn't seem to indicate that there would be a malevolent presence there. Um, but girls had been reporting sort of mysterious occurrences for years in that home. And they finally all came out and told me and everyone was willing to be recorded on camera and, and everything else. It was, it was really quite an experience. What have there been any moments where you've, you've had your, your previous beliefs either questioned or, or shaken? Yeah. Yeah. Many times. So the most, Shocking one was probably the Bigfoot event. Actually, I I went back to that same spot where I had that encounter, encounter and I think 2005 uh, was the year that happened. I went back to that spot maybe two years later, and uh, you'll never believe what I found there. A a bear, a big black bear, was in almost that exact spot, and I saw that bear. And I stopped and I thought, well, maybe what was in the woods before was just a bear. <laughs> so my close encounter with a Bigfoot may actually have been nothing more than a bear. And, you know, I've been to uh, the Patterson-Gimlin film site. You remember 1967, Roger Patterson saw a Bigfoot in, in Northern California. And I've spent a, a massive amount of time out in those woods. And it's 50 miles from the nearest human being. And there's a, an organization up there called the Bluff Creek Film Project, and they've got cameras, 20 or 30 uh, remote cameras out in that area, spread out over a vast distance. And they've been doing this for 10 years, and they've never caught anything on camera. And all the time I spent out there, I never saw any evidence that there was actually a Bigfoot out there. So, you know, and here we are, every human being has a cell phone. And we've got no convincing photographs or videos of a Bigfoot in the last, what's it been, 80 years since Roger Patterson saw his, or, or 60 years or whatever it's been. Does and that so raise a to, doubt to you? Yes, or yeah, does I, it, it does. I don't think Bigfoot's real anymore. <laughs> do, you, do, you, um, do you put any stock in the belief that it may not be a terrestrial physical creature and there may be something more to it and that's why there's no... So if, yes, dead bodies, why there's no scat, for example. Right. So it's possible that Bigfoot is some kind of a thought form, or that's what they would call it, a tulpa or a thought form is what the Native Americans called it. And if that's true, I mean, then we need to investigate using something else. Like, you know, we can drop acid or do mushrooms and, and take the investigation that way. You don't have to go in the field if Bigfoot is a thought form. So my interest in it becomes completely, you know, basically nil because <laughs> I, I enjoyed the, the part of going into the woods, looking for the unknown, trying to find physical evidence. Uh, 
my experiences as a psychonaut, if you want to call it that, uh, through meditation and shamanistic uh, practices is something separate, unrelated to Bigfoot. So I don't know. I, I don't necessarily see it would be important to to figure out what Bigfoot is if it's just a thought form, because you could have a thought form that's anything. It could be a centaur or a you know, Hydra or any uh, uni unicorn or a leprechaun or any mythological being. Sure, sure. I mean, I have to say, the more the more I look into all branches of, of paranormal, I don't really like the word paranormal, but all branches of the paranormal, the more people I speak to, the more books I read, um, and the more information that experts um even if they're armchair experts experts people who've written books people who've, who've like yourself have dedicated like years and years and years decades into sometimes very specific fields and then i kind of get that all you know with an hour or so of, of conversation the more i am turning towards feeling that a massive amount of the paranormal phenomenon is not necessarily thought form like it's thought induced, like it's some sort of psychical power whereby we're projecting a Bigfoot. I don't, I don't know where I'm putting that line. It's not, it's not strictly there. But the more I feel that so many of these things, whether they're UFOs, are all subjective and you can have person A sees the craft, person A, person B doesn't. Why? And, and, and a UFO enthusiast or, or or some of these guys might say well well that was the the extraterrestrials projecting things they were stopping you from seeing that they were and there's some of the wilder theories and i won't judge <clears throat> but the more i think we understand nothing about the human brain um like what 10 percent of it with the, the more i feel that I think a huge amount of this might be from not in your own head, like you're imagining it. I think you you get the point I'm making anyway. Not, not, I'm not saying you're imagining seeing it. You didn't see it. You're just imagining it, but that there are other faculties employed here by the mind yeah. that create so much of these things. Yeah. And I agree with you completely. And a lot of people that I know who have been doing this for, you know, 20, 30 years, actually have come to the same conclusion. Uh, in fact, I, I've got a great story about a guy. His name is William Draganis. And unfortunately, he passed away a few years ago. William saw a Bigfoot in a clearing in the woods in Virginia. And he was so moved by this experience. He spent $25,000 of his own money over the course of several years to build a mobile surveillance van that had all kinds of recording technology, cameras, infrared, heat sensing, all this stuff. And he would go out in the woods for weeks at a time in this thing and never found anything. So again, investing 25 grand of his own money to do this. And the last time that I spoke to him, he actually said to me, you know, I think I'm just going to switch over to shamanistic practices because I feel closer to discovering Bigfoot through that than I have through using all this equipment. And to me, that was very enlightening and very eye-opening about the possibility uh, behind the existence of these, these things.
So tarot originally was created as a card game in Italy in the 1400s. And from there, it became a card game in France in the 1600s. And several occultists, members of the Golden Dawn and other occult organizations, decided to use these cards for divination purposes. Tarot, a French word which actually originates from the Italian word tarocchi, meaning foolishness, is played across the world. When it comes to using a tarot deck for occult practices, there are two decks which are used, and these differ depending on where in the world you are. There's a French deck, a Latin deck, a German deck, etc. They're split into two main categories of card, and sometimes only one is used, or sometimes both. The first is the major arcana, the greater secrets, the trump cards. Numbering 22 in total, they usually consist of the magician, the empress, the hanged man, death, the tower, and the fool, amongst the many others. They are usually numbered with only the fool holding no number of his own. The other set is the minor arcana, the lesser secrets. They are quite similar to a regular deck of playing cards, 56 cards across four suits, each numbered from ace to ten, with four face cards, the king, queen, jack, and knight. The traditional suits on a Latin deck are swords, batons, coins, and cups, although occult circles often use wands in place of batons and pentacles in place of coins. Each suit can be attributed to one of the astrological signs, wands being fire, swords are air, coins are the earth, and the cups are the water. A question is posed, and the intent is focused on while the deck is shuffled. There are many ways to lay the cards, and different spreads require different amounts of cards to be drawn. The classic three-card spread usually draws the first card to represent the past, the second to represent the present, and the third the future. Sometimes the results are direct. A question about money may pull a card on fortune, but sometimes the results can be more vague and a level of interpretation comes into play, each card relating to the next in some way to tell a more detailed tale. What type of spread, what deck, what meaning and what divination are drawn from the cards is always subjective to those involved. And so a couple of, of authors... Uh, Eli Levy and another guy named Pappas, which was his, um, uh, what's the word, pseudonym, actually wrote a book about the tarot and how it connected to their occult practices in the Golden Dawn. And so what he sort of mashed in with that was connecting the major arcana to uh, the Hebrew alphabet and connecting the minor arcana to the decans of astrology. So when you do a reading with tarot cards, the meaning behind those cards actually comes from these golden dawn esoteric beliefs. The advantage to tarot cards is they don't just necessarily tell the future, but they can give you a guide, sort of a way to organize your thoughts as you lay them out and help you decide, hey, you know, how should I focus my energy? How, could, how should I focus my talents? What uh, challenges do I have to worry about in, in my life? And the best tarot reader is you yourself, as you're laying out the cards, experiencing that 
that experience of looking at the images and just saying, what does my gut say about the Ten of Pentacles or the Five of Swords or whatever it might be? And my book, An Occult Guide to the Tarot, was my attempt at synthesizing all the different meanings behind the cards in one place, essentially, was what that book was supposed to be. So most decks use what's called the Rider Waite Smith system. Uh, the Rider Waite Smith deck was released in 1909 uh, by uh, Arthur Waite. And it is the, when you think of a tarot card, that's what you think of. So that deck is the most common. And he created meanings behind these cards that are derived from the Golden Dawn meanings. So that was the predominant way of reading tarot cards for many, many years until a guy named Aleister Crowley came along and decided to create his own deck called the Toth Tarot or the Book of Toth. And that has different meanings, but they're still really based on the Golden Dawn <laughs> attributions. So anything that departs from the Rider Waite Golden Dawn meanings is generally called an Oracle deck. Uh, and Oracle decks can mean whatever the author of that deck decides. So they write a, a little book that comes with the, the deck and, and it tells you what each card means. And they can make up anything they want. It, it doesn't have to be related to some you know, historical uh, occult knowledge or anything like that. So in 2017, I felt like I knew enough about the tarot to finally create my own deck. And I wanted to make a deck based on the demons of the Kabbalah, oh, sorry, the demons of the Goeda, which is an old occult uh, book derived from the Key of Solomon. And there are 72 spirits, demons is really what they're called, that can help you if you call upon them in the right way. So I said, well, I'm gonna match up the 72 de demons with 72 tarot cards and then add in a few other demons who are grand princes of hell uh, and, and create this deck. And much to my surprise, someone asked me, hey, can I get a copy of that? And then a friend suggested, hey, why don't you put this on Kickstarter? So I did, and it was hugely successful. And from that first deck, you know, I've tried to build uh, more interesting decks that incorporate these, these old esoteric practices into the cards themselves. So what you're getting is really an authentic piece of ritual magic. Whether that magic is real or not is up to the, the user, you know, it's in the eye of the beholder. But I've put it there for you to, to work with if you want to. Does it matter who does the reading? Um, what what creates that ritual? Is the ritual created by the deck and by the situation? Would it matter if I myself, who obviously do not regard myself as being a magician of any sort, uh, were to do it? Th there's obviously no initiation into that. Um, or is is the pat does the power lie in the deck? So the original deck that I created actually has the the invocation to summon the spirits and the sigils and everything else is printed right on the card. 
So yes, those original decks, the Demon Possessed Tarot and the Angel Evoking Tarot, you don't need to have any experience. You don't even need to try just the act of laying out the cards. It's like a Tibetan prayer flag. You know, when you put those flags in the wind, just the movement of the wind against the flag sends the prayers off into the ether. Well, it's the same way with, with the, those two specific decks. Uh, it happens as you're using them a lot of times, whether you want it to or not. And I'll, 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 caveat that by saying, you know, nobody has ever reached out to me and said, Hey man, I had a horrible experience with your cards. I, I got to get rid of them. I have to burn them or whatever. Everybody that's used those original decks, uh, is able to sort of channel that energy in a very positive way. Even the demon deck, you know, you would think it's going to be evil or whatever, but it really isn't. Yeah, even they're helpful. Demon. Demon. Yeah. They're helpful spirits. <clears throat> now the new versions of those in uh, 2000, what was it? 2020, I guess. We released a mass market version of those two decks called the Occult Tarot and the Angel Tarot. And that's what you can find on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and, and all those other places. Those decks do not have the invocations printed on the cards. So those ones, you would have to actually say, okay, I'm going to perform the ritual uh, instead of just doing a regular tarot reading with them. And the rituals are printed in the books, the guidebooks that come with them. But yeah, they're designed for the uninitiated to use. You know, the safety measures uh, that you would generally have when doing a ritual like that are, are ingrained in the cards. The, the secret seal of Solomon, the, um, the pentacle of Solomon, those are printed right on the cards to help, you know, give that added layer of, of safety when working with those kind of spirits. Cool. Tell us about your uh, your own podcast that you have then. I know it's well, obviously coming away from uh, from these topics slightly, but I'd, yeah, I'd love to hear about it. So in, I think it was 2011 or, or 2010, I discovered that there's another guy named Travis McHenry. He's a uh, computer engineer, software engineer in Arizona. And he had done a podcast, like a technology podcast. He only did two episodes. And I listened to it and I thought, well, this guy has given the name of Travis McHenry a bad name. So I decided I was going to make my own podcast and it was just going to be better than his. <laughs> and, and so I created the Travis McHenry Fireside Chat podcast. And basically, I it's sort of a, a comedy podcast where I just sort of tell stories uh, from my life and bring on people like my friends or my mother is in a couple of episodes and uh, and talk about, you know, amusing topics. And it's very short. I think most episodes are about 14 or 15 minutes. And uh, yeah, it's it, so it was a lot of fun. I did it for a few years. My dad keeps telling me to, to record more episodes because he really enjoyed it. And um, I'm, I'm like, it's a lot of effort. As you know, it's a lot of effort and a lot of work to record and, and properly produce a podcast. So what are your parents views on, on, on the kind of weird and wonderful arm of their son's life? Are they, are they partakers in any of it? Are they, what's their belief system on it? So both of my parents are fairly, you know, a religious, like none of, neither of them really um, are, are uh, religious diehards or anything like that. So the, the tarot cards and the, the paranormal stuff, they're, interested in it. My mom has backed every single Kickstarter I've ever done. And my dad usually asks for a deck of the tarot cards. So I generally send him whatever deck I've created. So they're both very, very supportive. Um, my dad was especially supportive once he saw how good the Kickstarters were doing. <laughs> then, then his level of enthusiasm changed uh, to, to be really enthusiastic. 
because uh, he's a, a businessman for for many many years. So to see me running my own business and having it be successful was was very important to him. He really liked that. This this is a story uh, that a friend of mine's mother told me. This comes from the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, which is a heavily, heavily wooded area. So the story goes, when she was a little girl, uh, her family was staying in a cabin there in the middle of the woods. And one night, they had no electricity, everything was done by candlelight. One night, she heard a voice say, they murdered me. And she turned and looked at the window and there was a bloody handprint appeared on the window. No hand, just the handprint. So obviously she and her, her mother who was in the room at the time were, were terrified by this. Well, the next morning, the father and his brother, her uncle, decided to dig up the, they pulled up the floorboards and dug up the area underneath where that window was, under the porch. And there they found bones of someone. They didn't know who it was or, or how that person had died. But after that, they, they pulled the bones up and, and put them to rest in the local cemetery. And after that, never had another problem with strange voices or bloody handprints. And that's a true story. That really happened. That's insane. <laughs> that's insane. That's something straight out of a movie. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I don't mean. I don't mean it's you right. I know. Yeah. It could be. Yeah. So um, the best place to find my esoteric uh, information is at my primary website called Bloodstone.info, and you'll find basically everything there: all my tarot decks, my books, all that stuff. Right now, I just this morning released two new decks of playing cards, one based on the Demons of the Goetta, the other one based on the Angels of the Kabbalah. So that's live on Kickstarter for 30 days. And uh, that's the extremely exciting project. I, I really love it. We've already hit our goal, I think, in the first hour or hour and a half, we hit our, our funding goal. So yeah, those are something to look forward to. I am actually working right now very heavily on the 36 decans of Egyptian astronomy or Egyptian astrology, really. And uh, the project is, is going amazingly well. And I'm able to connect Greek and Babylonian astrology that we use today with these Egyptian decans that come from almost 3000 BC. So we're talking, you know, four, 4,000 to 5,000 years old that we still use to this very day. And it's a really fascinating project, um, massive amounts of research involved, but I'm going to Egypt uh, later this year to explore these middle kingdom tombs in, uh, in Southern Egypt to actually see what I believe is the birthplace of of all astrology. And if I find there what I think I'm going to find there, it's going to be amazing. It's going to blow the roof off of all astrological thought. I'm really, really excited by it. That's incredibly exciting. Um, and of course, there'll be book a book to, to follow that that I'm sure people can find. I, as well. the, the Egyptian Star Oracle is what I'm going to call the, the Oracle deck that goes along with it. Yeah. Cool. 
<laughs> and if people obviously follow the website, then I'm sure at some point there'll be a, there'll be a oh, release yeah. something on there. Yep. Awesome. Travis, thank you so much for taking um, the time to speak with us tonight. Um, it's been an absolute joy. We're looking forward to, uh, to seeing where all your work takes you next um, and hopefully future book releases too. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It was a real pleasure. Peer Beyond the Veil has been written and presented by myself, Mark Watson, as part of the Fearscape Media Network. Music and soundtracks are credited and licensed to Purple Planet and to Kevin MacLeod, licensed under Creative Commons. All rights are reserved by our parent company, MLW Publishing. You can follow us at facebook.com forward slash Peer Beyond the Veil or on Twitter at Peer Beyond the Veil or at Peer Beyond 2020. Please click the like and subscribe buttons when you see them, most importantly wherever you listen to your podcasts. It helps us to attract the attention we need to keep the show going, to get the guests that you all want to hear from, and to help more and more people 